Thank you for tuning in to the Life After GDPR podcast, where we're discussing digital marketing in a post-GDPR world. I'm your host, Rick Dronkers, and in today's episode, I get to interview Steen Rasmussen, an analytics advocate and co-founder of the Danish digital agency IIH Nordic, who has been working in digital analytics for over 20 years. We'll be discussing all the recent rulings with regards to Google Analytics in the EU, the launch of Google Analytics 4, how to evaluate if you should use Google Analytics 4 going forward, the importance of determining the value of analytics to your company, and much more. If you are figuring out how to migrate to Google Analytics 4 yourself, I have something for you. On our website, we've created an 11-step migration guide that walks you through migrating from Universal Analytics to Google Analytics 4 step-by-step. Each step contains relevant links to resources that can help you out. You can find the migration guide at our website, datatovalue.nl. Additionally, we're launching an online course together with Krista Seiden on how to implement Google Analytics for yourself. Krista already has some great courses available on how to use Google Analytics 4. So with this additional course, you'll get the full package. Our technical deep dive course will be available end of April and you can pre-register your seat right now. If you use the code LIFEAFTERGDPR, before April 15th, you'll even get a $200 discount. You can find the course at academy.ksdigital.co. All the links are also mentioned in the show notes. That's it. Now let's dive in with Steen Rasmussen. Okay, Steen, welcome to the podcast. For the listeners that don't know you yet, could you please introduce yourself? Absolutely. It's co-founder of the Nordic agency IH, Nordic specializing in data-driven business. What we like to say is that we started as a data agency and later to help customers get value out of the data, we put on extra skill sets like the, the marketing activities. So SAO, SAM, paid media, social media, conversion optimization, all that stuff. Unlike most of our good colleagues in the marketplace. We see them as marketing agencies with a data lag. We are a data agency with a marketing lag. So for us, kind of the data is the core of our business and not just something we added on afterwards. We started with data and we started that 15, 16, 17 years ago now. So we've been doing this for a long time and it has been a nice journey with the learnings and the use of data and the increased focus on commercialization. So over time, we have had time, uh, fun to chance to play with all the, not all of them, but most of the big fun customers we've been doing works with the Ikeas and the Legos and the Apples and stuff of the world in relations to, to looking into data uh, with our special source. Because when it, at the end of the day, we look at what we're doing, my special source is a very commercial approach to things. So that is uh, what we bring to the table. Uh, the angle of what's in it for you, having this constant focus on the return on analytics. And over the years, we've really been trying to help push this agenda and this way of thinking. So, so we have been supporting all the free communities. We've been doing Web Analytics Wednesdays in Denmark for more than 10 years uh, with... Uh, Good crowds. We've been supporting uh, measure camps. You will find me as a regular in most measure camps. I'm coming to Amsterdam. I'm going to Bucharest. I'm arranging one in Copenhagen just in the next two, three months. 
So in that sense, I am, yeah, in lack of a better word, I guess I'm an evangelist, a teacher to simplify. I like to, to educate. And I guess that kind of sums me up. I like the evangelist title. You're spreading the gospel. I like that part. <laughs> and for the purpose of this conversation, it's probably also good to mention that, uh, that your agency is also heavily Google focused because we're going to talk about Google analytics. Um, so you are a reseller and, and you, uh, know all there is to know about Google, but maybe there's also a little bit of a bias just for the, for the listener. <laughs> there is an absolute bias. If you go out and check what I've been doing on LinkedIn, I have been fiercely advocating that people needed to calm the hell down and not stress so much in relation to this, but we're going to be having that conversation going forward, I think. Yeah. To set the scene a little bit, we're going to talk about Google analytics. There's been a, a lot of discussion around Google analytics and whether or not it's legal in the EU. So I did a little bit of, of digging in the past. What are these decisions that have led us to this moment right now? So I found out that in 2013, Max Schrems filed a complaint against Facebook Ireland, and this complaint actually ended up invalidating the safe harbor agreement that took two years. So in 2015, the safe harbor agreement was invalidated, and that was the agreement that was used for uh, processing data between the EU and, and the US. And then safe harbor was replaced by privacy shield. And in 2018, in May 2018, right after the GDPR launched, then Max Schrems uh, filed like a similar complaint against Privacy Shield. And in July 2020, so again, two years later, the European Union invalidated Privacy Shield based on that decision. And those two decisions are known as uh, Schrems 1 and Schrems 2. Um, and right after that second decision, the company or the foundation that Max founded, which is called None of Your Business, they filed 101 complaints across Europe and the Austrian Data Protection Agency ruled on one of these cases against Google Analytics in December 2021. So that is one and a half year after the ruling, after the ruling of the, the invalidation of, of privacy shield. And then the French DPA basically ruled the same uh, in a little bit different context in February, 2022, both stating that Google analytics, at least in, in the way that complaint was filed, that Google analytics didn't meet the standards that they would like it to meet. So yeah, that spurred up a lot of uh, news in our industry and a lot of fear. And to top it all off on March 16th, Google announced that Google analytics three will be sunset the 1st of July. 2023. So that's roughly a year. So that even spread up more dust in our industry. And then on March 25th, we got the news that Joe Biden came to visit uh, Europe and he did a handshake deal with Ursula about a principal agreement of privacy shield 2.0, let's call it. Right. And this is of course, uh, it, there's nothing on, on paper yet. There's no signatures under it. It's not finalized, but it did. It was like the, let's call it the positive news that a lot of people jumped on. So a lot has happened. You and I actually recorded a podcast in between all this. So, uh, I think it's good to have a re-recording for, for different reasons. So now we get to talk about the entire picture and I want to start with you with maybe the easy part, like 
Google Analytics is moving from Google Analytics 3, Universal Analytics, to Google Analytics 4. What does this mean for your clients? How do you explain this? So, so I think that the big explanation or the simplest one is, is uh, the data model or the way that Google Analytics gathered data was a good model in the old ways the internet worked or the digital uh, platforms worked. But time has really moved away from that model. So instead of focusing uh, on the session when a user is doing something, then focusing across that and trying to build a bigger picture of how the interaction actually works. And it's, it's not really a new data model. It's the same data model that Adobe Analytics has been using since the beginning. So for all the people coming from Adobe, having this focus on, on what's happening as a flow is, is really a big shift. But the biggest shift is really, as I see it, that Google Analytics 4 integrates much more into, into the cloud. And that sounds maybe just like more nerdiness, complication, and it is getting more tricky. It is getting harder to use Google Analytics, but it's also because the, the bar is being significantly raised in what you can get out of it. I know that one of my favorite quotes from, from Google is saying that, well, Universal Analytics was analytics for insights. GA4 is analytics for activation. So what they're building in, there's a lot of stuff that you can do uh, with the core around GA4. So I think one of the things that we see most interest in right now is the combination of a free Google Analytics 4 combined with the paid Google Optimize. Because with the Google Optimize things, then you can actually use the data in Google Analytics 4 for specific uh, personalization on the website. So based on your behavior, you can change the content, you can actually uh, go personal. And that is what I see as a good example of using analytics for activation. So it's not just about making a report, it's making shit happen. I think that ties in really well with the mindset that your agency has as well. So of course, whenever there's change, people are going to be frustrated, scared. I've, I've seen a lot of that going on as well around the, around the change away from Google Analytics 3 to Google Analytics 4. Is there, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's been... Uh, uh, frustrating, impressive, and uh, humorous at the same time. The humorous part being uh, that, that all the people coming out saying, why didn't anybody tell me? I know uh, people like you and me and half the industry has been going around for a long time saying, you need to start migrating to GA4 because Universal will be sunset. And people are like, yeah, yeah, in 2029 something, right? And then suddenly Google comes out and say, hey guys, it's next year. I'd like. And, and then it incurs an a, a intense, uh, intense panic. And it's impressive how many people who were paying no attention at all. There will be a lot of migrations that still need to happen. Uh, I think it's unfair to say that, that you couldn't see this coming. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we, uh, we attended the Firebase Summit, which is kind of the precursor to GA4 in 2019. And when we came back, we actually did events here on saying this is going to be the future uh, model. So now that it starts, the time to start to thinking about change. And I, I think um, what consultants love about this model is that it is completely different. I think there's a lot of people who've been like, yeah, yeah, it's been like the other times. We just need to change the script and then we're updated. But this is something completely different. 
this is the data model for the future and it takes much more thinking about what you want to track because you get so much less out of the box, right? It, it's really about tailoring analytics to your business needs and not letting analytics define your business. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to put it. There's less constraints, but that also means that there's less out of the box. So it will require some thinking before implementing. That being fair though, I think the, the automatic implementation, like if, if you just implement it and, and don't customize it, there is some additional interaction tracking that would, that makes it richer than universal analytics. But if you wanted a, a really good implementation, then yes, I agree with you. The model requires more planning beforehand to, yeah, to fill it up well. And it's also interesting to see that now with this model, Google Analytics can actually compete with a lot of product analytics tools where it used to, Google Analytics used to lag behind a little bit on tools like Amplitude and Mixpanel. And with this data model, it's actually really suited for product analytics as well. Yeah. I mean, you can say it, it's the entire thing about focusing on, on, on the interaction and not on the, on, on, on a session in that sense. Right. So, so it is a, a really interesting shift and, and a, a big shift, uh, really. Yeah. And I think, so that's the. Of course, you and I are both biased. We both work a lot with Google Analytics and we know the tool, so we know how to use it. So that was the, our positive side on it. But I think maybe one thing that could be considered as a negative that within all this uncertainty about whether or not you can even use Google Analytics in Europe, Google decides to forcefully make people migrate to a new tool within this storm. It's an amazing case of bad timing. I think, right? Because you take the, probably the time in history with the largest uncertainty about the product where most people have been out saying it's illegal and it, all this, and all, until the, the, the agreement between, uh, uh, Ursula and Biden, uh, then it was really a, a tricky situation. So they kind of came to the rescue, but as a timing in relation to forcing people to migrate now. It's really a big choice and we still see it with a lot of customers having this situation saying, okay, should we migrate to GA4 or should we head for something safer? There's still a risk uh, that the safe harbor will, the new safe harbor 2.0 will fall through or 3.0 or what we're going to call it. Uh, uh, that, that could fall through uh, or it could take so long or it could be saying that they will insist on starting to enforcing the old rules until the new rules are in place. That could be a scenario, highly unlikely, but it, it could be. So if you're sitting doing an enterprise implementation, having a lot of sites saying, okay, cool, where should I go? Yeah, I, I think this is something that we should explore. So if I am responsible for the analytics implementation at company X, now I know that if I'm still on Google Analytics 3, I know that I will have to migrate. I will either have to migrate to Google Analytics 4 or to something else, because I know that if I don't do it within the next, I think 60 days or something, then I will not be able to do a year on year comparison anymore. And then within a little bit more than a year, Google Analytics 3 will stop completely. Maybe if I have the paid version a little bit longer, but it, it's the, the pressure is on. So, so my evaluation would be, of course, there's the, the, what do I get from the tool side? So. 
Google Analytics, I think it has a really strong profile when it comes to integrating with my advertising site. If I spend a lot of money via double click and search, then there's of course a clear incentive of Google Analytics because of the direct integrations. But on the other hand, there is a migration that needs to happen. Like you said, Google Analytics 4 is not just changing the script. So the migration will, there will probably be consultants. There will be uh, technical uh, people on your end that would have to actually change the scripts, change the data layer. So there's real work in there. And to me, that part already opens up considering a different tool, right? If it was just a small script change and we would be good to go for GA4, then I wouldn't really consider another tool probably because I was already on GA3 and GA4 was just as easy, but now there's going to be a budget involved with switching to GA4. So I might actually also use that budget for another tool. So that's already a consideration. And then to top it off, I get this, I have this fear now of what if I spend a uh, hundred thousand euros right now to get Google Analytics 4 well implemented across all sites and adopted within my organization, training people, like making, right, all this stuff. And then within two years, Max Schrems comes out and he, he fixes Schrems tree, right? And the new agreement is off the table again. And, and we get a letter to, to stop using Google Analytics. And then I have to move to alternative X, whether it's Snowplow or my own cloud or whatever I choose to do. What would be your conversation with me, the stressed out marketing director? I think I would, uh, there's kind of a couple of scenarios, but I think what the thing that I am stressing to people right now is saying that with the timeline saying, okay, if you have two years on GA4, uh, then the value of going for the activation part, because if you change to another tool right now, you'll go back to analytics for insights. It will be business as usual. You will be doing reporting but you won't be getting the extra power that Google has actually put into GA4, which is probably how it should always have been, right? Because it really goes from just being something where you find some data that returns business. And I think the business case of doing that for two years, just even two years, is probably much bigger than, than uh, the risk of anything else happening. And in parallel, you can consider doing some alternate setup the alternatives in the market right now, I don't see them as competitive in the offering. And I think one of the things that we touched upon last time is saying the cost. Okay, cool. I can decide I don't want to do Google Analytics anymore, but then I have to change to another platform. And there are free platforms out there, but without offending a lot of people, I think we can say they don't really measure up. It would be taking a serious step backwards when it comes to your use of data change is going from Google Analytics to one of the free alternatives, right? Because they, they don't offer the integration to the marketing side, which is what, what most people are looking for. And so you would lose kind of, you would lose a significant part of the data you need by changing to one of the free versions. And then you're looking at saying, okay, cool. Then I'm changing to a paid version and suddenly a paid version, then you have to pay to get the same that you're getting in Google Analytics right now. And then suddenly it becomes, so it's not just a migration to another platform, it's actually a migration and a recurring cost. Does that make sense? So the cost of migrating away from Google is actually significant and it doesn't add any other value. So 
being a commercial oriented person, I would say there's a much better, better return on analytics in upgrading going all the way. Because I think we had that conversation at one point saying, if you're not using your data for anything anyway, then go and have a management meeting saying, are we planning on starting using our data for business? And if the management board agrees that no, we're not, then, then go for a free platform. Then it doesn't matter. It's fine. Go there. If you're not using it for anything, don't have a cost. But if you want to be competitive and if you want to go to the market, then you should decide on this investment. And like I said, I'm horribly biased. But I see that as, as the best alternative right now, because the alternative, the, the other alternative that you mentioned, Snowplow and one of these enterprise solutions, that is going from no cost to a massive cost just on the tech side. And then you need to put the extra layer in on the activation side. So even going from paid Google Analytics 360, which costs you one euros or something a year, that will pay for one or two if you're lucky, three if you can get them in a far away market data scientist or tech specialist, but that would just be the infrastructure. You wouldn't have any activation or any other value. Yeah. I think those are some good points. I think, I think one of the things that is happening that what you're seeing online, and of course, this is always the case on social media, but what you're seeing is blanket statements as if all the problems are generic across all businesses. So I think. Like you just said, there's a lot of companies where they are, they are currently using Google Analytics because it is free and there was also no cost to using a tool that might actually become illegal, right? So why not use it? But I think for a lot of businesses, they have to realize we're actually using Google Analytics as a really fancy counter of how many people saw our blog post. And if that is the only reason you are using Google Analytics, then probably the risk has now increased, right? Cause, cause we cannot disagree on that, probably there will be more uncertainty in the future with these kind of rulings. So in that case, probably you should go with a hundred percent privacy safe stat counter that just shows you, Hey, you had so many people on the website this week and so many people read this blog post and that's it. it can do segmentation. It can track users. It's just a simple counter. And then you solve a lot of your issues. You're not scared anymore. And you don't have to complain about Google analytics as well, because you don't need it. And then for marketing heavy organizations, like you said, then if you take your entire marketing budget, then you look at how much do you spend on Google ads, on in double click, on Facebook ads, on YouTube ads. If you can even look at improving that spend by improving the relevancy on your landing pages, something as simple like that, then suddenly the risk reward ratio changes and could change very fast. If you look at the marketing spend of some companies with these kind of numbers, then a one or 2% change in that is already justifying a lot. We have actually done a setup for customers now that in relation to the migration to GA4, actually go in and find traffic that has been missing from their statistics. So that has been refinding up to 20% of advertising spend that can suddenly be accounted for that they couldn't see before. So even then, and I think that that's a business case just of that one is like we're suddenly being able to see, okay, cool. So these 20% of our marketing spend uh, actually also has a return. Now that's nice to know. So it's kind of, a, what's the old quote from Wanamaker saying, 50% uh, of your marketing is wasted. You just don't know what, what 50%. It's like, yeah, but it's actually 70% because 20% you can't see it all. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think as we're talking, I'm, I'm seeing this schema where you could evaluate if you are, let's say you are a 
bank maybe, right? And you are under heavy regulation and under high standards, then maybe you're going to value the privacy aspect way more. And then maybe you have to eventually decide like, okay, I, that risk is too big for me. And you decide to go with either a build it yourself solution on a European cloud where you control it all. Or if you're a government, there was a lot of government websites that have Google Analytics on it, then probably, yeah, okay, probably they should be thinking about, do we actually need this? But then on the other end, for a lot of uh, companies that are in commercial business and that are trying to deliver a great customer experience, like the integration, like you said, with tools like Optimize, but also the direct integration with the advertising suite, which allows you to basically personalize the entire funnel that is worth something. Of course, you can build it yourself, but that costs probably more than getting the suite. So that it just becomes a, a risk reward. I, I think uh, guys like you and me and, and a lot of our colleagues in the industry will be doing a lot more calculations on the return on analytics because the business cases out there. And I would honestly, like you mentioned before saying, okay, cool. If you don't have a big marketing spend, then you should shift to something simpler. But I would still hate to be the CMO walking to the CEO saying, yeah, so this stuff we've been saying about being data-driven, it wasn't really true. Well, <laughs> honesty is also worth something, right? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. I, I, I truly think that, so in a lot of cases, analytics gives people the feeling of control, which gives them, which calms them down. But the, what they actually realize is what they're only doing is reporting after the fact. So they're not actually using it to influence what they're going to do. They're only using it to report after the fact. And then whenever something is going down, then panic st strikes. A lot of people are using analytics solely as like a warning signal, right? So something is going wrong, but they're not using it as a signal to improve what you're doing and making it better over time. And I think for a lot of those people, you don't need Google Analytics. If you want to, if you want a signal that, that shows you that the amount of visitors to your whatever pages is going down or your transactions are going down. You, you can use simple business analytics tool or whatever for that. And if you want to move towards optimizing for the future and improving your processes and stuff like that, then you want a suite like Google Analytics, Adobe Analytics. But I think for a lot of purposes, they, they actually have the same built-in flaw that has not helped reduce this because where do you set targets in Google Analytics? You can't. So you can only look at, see the numbers that has never been built a function where you could go in and say, okay, this is our objective for the year. You can go sit and set a goal that is the goal for performance, but you cannot set a target to try to hit. And that's kind of really where I see the benefit and what, what, what we're doing with BigQuery and other dashboards and taking the data out and, and actually helping aim for that. Because the tool in itself, it, it's really, it kind of missed that opportunity. Oh. The most of the tools did, right? But that's good for us, right? Because that, that allows us to, to build solutions on top of it and, and customize it per business. Because in the end, I think, you know, the real value comes from customization to your own needs. I think one of the things in the conversation that I feel kind of people are really missing is this, that for most people who use Google Analytics, it's a free tool. It's actually an enterprise quality analytics tool that they get for free. So. And I know the classic thing people say, yeah, yeah, but, but if anything is free, you're the product. And it's because uh, all these conspiracy theories that we hear about, it's because Google take the data from analytics and then they siphon it and sneak it over to the advertising side so they can sell your customers to somebody else. 
And I think the business case for Google is much more simple. If you show what happens on the website, you buy more AdWords because paid media works, right? And that's kind of Google's core business. They don't have to sell your customers to somebody else. Yeah. So one of the basis of the, the complaints against Google Analytics in Europe right now is that when you implement Google Analytics, you're exposing certain data to this American company, right? Google, in the end, even though there's also Google Ireland, in the end, the mother company is US-based company. And whenever you go to a website and you evoke the, the Google Analytics script, at least your IP address, and we could argue even more metadata about you, gets exposed to that service. And so even if Google says we anonymize IP and, and we do all of that, then still the complaint is that it will still be stored on servers owned by an US-based company. Well, like you said, they could do shady things with it themselves, but let's assume they won't, but then they could, could get subpoenaed by the NSA or the CIA or whatever to unlock that data because of, I don't know, terrorist threat or whatever kind of reason they think of. And that's under the GDPR. I think that's the main issue right now that we're trying to, to solve for. But I, I think, like you said, the, the risk for Google to be selling analytics data to advertisers without doing that in the dark, basically is really high and probably not worth it because they already have so much data about people from Gmail, YouTube, Google maps. So they probably don't even, they don't even need it. I think they get caught with that. The risk is so high that it's probably not worth it to even do it. And I think so that's also the, the business case going forward, right? So what is the return on Google? What is the return on upgrading and fighting all these battles for Google? When will Google say, okay, cool, never mind. It's fine. We, we tried. Apparently people don't want this tool. Since we've already proven our point that paid media is valuable, then uh, yeah, then we'll just cancel it. Or we'll make a version where you own your own data, but you have to pay for it. Yeah. Well, so uh, I think on that topic, so Google in between announcing the sunset of Google Analytics 3 on March 16th and the update of the Privacy Shield 2.0 on March 25th, Google actually had a, a small little webinar in between where they were highlighting all the current options they have to tweak privacy settings in Google Analytics th that already exist. And they also mentioned that they will be introducing some new features early April to Google Analytics 4. And in those features, at least one of the things that they mentioned was like the IP is already by default anonymized, but there will also be some country specific settings that you can enable. From what we could gather, they plan to allow to collect the Google Analytics data to an EU-based Google Cloud server first, and there the IP address will get anonymized in the EU before it gets sent to the Google Analytics servers where everything gets processed. And I'm going to assume that those servers are then in the US. So th they are trying to move. They also mentioned something about maybe future features that will allow you to mask metadata and, and take even more control of that. So I think it's, it's positive that they are doing something, although we were a little bit disappointed in the industry because of course we always expect to get, you know, the, the best features out there and it wasn't all there yet. They also started the entire thing talking about that, that was the final solution needed to be compliant that there wasn't an, an overall agreement. And I think we had the conversation and in the last talk as well about what are the interests at stake here? Why is it so difficult for the EU and, and the US to make an agreement, right? And then, 
And one is the EU says that you have the fundamental right as a citizen to protect your data. But the U.S. says that U.S. national security rights come above the personal, the rights of the individual. So you kind of have these two meta levels fighting because it's, it's so principle. Is the individual's right above the nation or is the nation above the individual? And if they can agree on that, then, then we have a solution. Yay. Yeah. And I've, I think so from what I've been reading up on, on what they have released up until now, I'm very undereducated to give a detailed explanation of it, but it seems like they want to create a situation where there is like a specially appointed court that can rule on when can the NSA snoop in on the data? Yes or no. And I've been reading reactions from, let's call it the privacy side and the marketing side. Well, of course the marketing side is like, yes, new solution. Let's do business again. On the privacy side, I think a lot of people are fairly skeptic. Basically they think Shrem's tree will have a high likelihood of succeeding based upon how the GDPR works. So I definitely plan to have somebody on the podcast who can really shine their light on this. But yet for you and me, it likely means that at least there's a new two year gap of, of analytics, but also of somewhat certainty and uncertainty. Cause by now I think we can expect like Shrems one, Shrems two, it's all the same principle. So it's highly likely that there will be a Shrems three. I think it also allows us to have better conversations with our clients because now knowing that you know, this period of uncertainty will likely return again. How can we help clients prepare for this? And also how can we implement Google Analytics in a way that does respect the privacy of the end user as much as possible while doing it? Well, I think it's a really important point because uh, I think that the interim period where, where if I look back the, 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 the last years, the idea has been, let's hack this. Let's uh, try to find a workaround. Let's do some tricks and hoops and some illusions over here, but still get the same data. I see, especially from the more mature companies, we're moving in a direction where the conversation goes around ethics. What is our data ethics? What is our data policies? What principles do we put around our data gathering? And I think it's a much stronger approach from a corporate angle because it, it, it makes some principles that you, you can start talking about privacy by design, that it's principally div, dri, driven, that we have some internal rules that we abide by. And then at the end, it becomes much more complicated bringing you to court because you will have like a core set of standards that will most likely mean that your setup is different, right? We, we see this in a lot of places. And with the companies then suddenly not waiting for this, but doing a, a, having a principled approach to their data also makes it much easier for them to communicate that this is not just something random going on in the marketing department. It's not the web analyst who have made a decision whether this should be compliant or not. This is actually something from the management level talking about what is our data strategy and what is our data ethical framework. And in my book, it moves it much closer to legal terms. It's like rubbish, but I try to talk about the intent of the law. And, and in a situation where the word of the law is basically obsolete, they all becomes obsolete in relation to the technical hoops we can jump to if we want to. Then I think we need to go in and, and take the step back and say, what are we trying to achieve from a legal perspective? And then adapt our ethical framework to that. So if anybody confronts us saying we try to live up to the 
ideal of the law and, and use that for moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the point that you make about the web analyst not being responsible for this, I think last time we spoke, you, you said it's above their pay grade, right? That is really important for companies to understand. They have to take responsibility and ownership from this, and it has to be top down because you cannot pass down the responsibility. If you get a complaint by nation's uh, DPA, you know, you, you can't blame it on the, on the digital analyst. Yeah. Hey, 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 you set it up. So yeah. you're fired. And, yeah, exactly. Then, well, you can do that, but you, it won't help you. <laughs> well, you can in the press release saying, yeah, we are, we're, we're really sorry about this and the responsible parties has been fired and right. It's like, yeah, it's a good cover my ass strategy, but. And then you have to find a new analyst and they're already hard to find. So it's probably not the best solution of taking that top down and thinking about this strategy. And also I get what you're saying with the intent of the law is of course, you know, any lawyer will not agree with that, but I do think it's important to at least have a strategy where you are like, okay, we want to respect the choice of our users. That is why we have implemented a consent management platform and we have implemented it this and this way for this and this use case. And it's actually working, right? It's the consent management is not there for show, but it's actually integrated with what we're tracking and making sure that entire flow is, is there. I have a question related to this. Let's say we we go with the mantra of no consent, no tracking, right? If people end up on your website and they, they click deny everything and they have the do not track signal in, on activated in their browser, maybe they even have an ad blocker on, then we could still track them, right? We could use server side technology. We could work around it. Basically, if we want to, we can work around it. Obviously we shouldn't be doing that, but just to state that there is always a technical solution to still keep tracking people because in the end, they still request files from web servers. So we could figure out a way to, to at least measure that. I think actually, if you flip it down, I think that's actually in a lot of countries, there's a legal requirement to save your log file for X amount of period. Yeah. And that's pretty conflicting, right? Let's take this, the fact that we could, that is there, but now. Let's, let's take the fact of, okay, no consent, no tracking. This could mean that for your large media clients, that maybe you optimize the consent platform. Maybe you get to 60% opt-in for marketing tracking. I think I am pragmatic on that. So uh, what we build for some clients and, and I know there are other tools out there where we go in and if people do not get consent. What we do is we run them through a anonymization engine that has been tested. They cannot be de-anonymized. So it removes everything. So what we have is behavioral data, but nothing that can be tied to a person. And I think for, from our perspective, saying that understanding as a business, our return on marketing, uh, how our website is being used, uh, where we should, where we can improve a customer experience. I see that as part of reason of running a business. It's not like if you go into a store with a do not track sign that the video cameras will turn off. So there are some core fundamentals in relations to doing, to showing interest and to doing business that, that we need to have in, in place. And somebody can crunch our anonymization engine and say, people are not anonymized. I think this is what I believe in saying. We can aggregate data and I think Stefan is probably going to hate me if he hears this, but I think no consent, no tracking is 
it's very idealistic and it might work for public websites, but they will still have the interest and the need to understand what is going on. So I probably see it as too idealistic. That's what I've been saying the whole time. I'm pragmatic in this. Uh, if we want to focus a customer experience, then that is part of it. I cannot give you a better experience if I don't know what not necessarily you are, but people with that behavior, what they need and what they're looking for. Yeah. So, and if, if I get this right, you, you own your own anonymization engine that is before you send the data to Google Analytics, yes. right? Yeah. So before anything leaves anywhere, it's like you said, it's a DTM server-side setup where the data from the user comes in. So it, it removes the IP, it removes uh, all things that can be considered personal identifiable, it removes what could be construed as personal data. And there's no IP going through, nothing that will connect you directly to the user because all that goes on on the server side. So in that sense, the, the actual customer gets the chats from the, the, the visit. So we only have the statistics in relation to marketing and activity. Yeah. I like this approach and I think I'll, what I like about it is you take control in something that you own, right? So for people that are unaware, even though it's called Google Tag Manager server side, it is running on your own cloud platform instance and Google basically has no access to that. So you, you control fully what happens to the data in there. And, and then before sending it somewhere else, you obfuscate things. I do think from what I've read, there's arguments about even the session ID, right? Whether it's attached to a person or not, it is still considered personal data. I think those are cases that you could argue both ways. And I think there's, there's strong arguments, both sides. So I think that's something that, that we need more clarity on going forward. But I, I do think that the solution that you're prescribing is also good from a risk perspective, because you're minimizing risk by putting your fate in the hands of Google and you're handling it yourself before using and whether you use Google Analytics after that or another tool doesn't really matter. You're taking the anonymization part within your own hands. And if you have the capabilities to handle that, which is of course a big if, right? You need, you need somebody like Mark Edmondson on your side to build something like that. I think it is the way forward because it, it allows you to, on one end, serve your business. Like you said, there is a commercial interest, right? If you are heavily on the marketing and advertising side, then you could definitely argue that this the, that it is needed for your business to be successful, but still respect privacy as much as possible. Our first version of uh, privacy by design, giving the, the, the customers the ability, our customers the ability to go and, and actually design internally how they want to, but there are of course a lot of baselines that can be moved in this, but this is their definition of, of it. But, and then they can decide. And then the good thing is that at the end of the day, if somebody actually declares that Google Analytics is now illegal, you can actually just flip and then say all the users that go through the website will be anonymized this way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you already have created a part of the infrastructure that you would also use if you switch, for instance, to Snowplow. So already also preparing for the worst, worst case scenario where Google Analytics is truly illegal and you get you, you really can't use it anymore. So probably something that a lot of companies should explore uh, or think about. We see it as something 
So honestly, a lot of people are not even aware that they're losing the data when, when people do not give consent, that it just disappears into nothing, right? It's like saying, okay, so you go from having 80, 90% of your data to only having 40 because between ITP and every people not being visible, then suddenly it all disappears. Yeah. It is also really dependent on the market that you serve. So for instance, I've been testing on our own website where I assume there's a lot of digital marketing and, and, and digital analytics people coming. And I know a lot of us are a little bit hypocrites because we have ad blockers in, in our browsers. <laughs> yeah. And I've been noticing, I've been using a log file analysis and then filtering out the bots from that and comparing it to Google analytics, where right now it's set up. If you do not consent for statistics, it will not fire at all. Right. So you need to actually specifically opt into statistics and you already lose 50% easily. And that's because a lot of people have cookie banner blockers. So instead they don't opt in or opt out, but they automatically remove the banner because they don't want to be bothered with it. So that's the thing that's happening. And then a lot of people, of course, just click deny or opt out. So yeah, you lose 50% of traffic that way already. Actually, we've also seen a large group, uh, which is probably the worst in this case, because people who do not respond at all because they're kind of in a grace. So people who have not given consent, they haven't clicked, tick the box. So they just leave the, the damn cookie pop, box pop up open and then they just surf the side. They actually go into this limbo of users as well. Yeah. So I think you should opt on the safe side for those and just throw them through the anonymization uh, engine that you have. I think this will grow because the amount of browser extensions and plugins that, that hide cookie bars for you is only growing. So that clearly shows what people are interested in. If you open up the browser extension shop for Chrome or Safari and both on mobile and on, on web, you can clearly see what are people looking for in here. And it's always the hide the cookie banners and just block all ads. Right. So, so yeah, that's a problem going forward. I think also a, a damn interesting thing in this is, is that the consent rates are, they vary depending on channel. So it's one of the things that we've found when, when we dive into it saying, you might be looking at your site saying, cool, I have a consent rate of 60%, that's fine, or 70 or 80. And, and then when you dive into the numbers, what you find is, yeah, cool, congratulations, you have a 99% consent rate from your existing customers. And you have a 10% consent rate from your banner traffic. So once you try to analyze this, if you don't know the, the difference between these numbers, your banner traffic is going to look horrific. And your the existing customers will be massively overrepresented. And it's typical that the marketing traffic for new clients will have a lower consent rate than your average because your existing clients will be pulling it up. You get a good consent rate on email marketing because it's people who already know you. So you, you're in this loop where actually the people you need to know the most about is the people that disappear from a marketing and sales perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that is the challenge, right? And shining the light on it from the other end, if people don't know you yet and they're unaware of your brand, giving consent, it's giving, right? The word already says it. So I think what we should move towards is some other way of how we handle consent. Cause I think right now, like this blanket consent, when you enter a website, when you haven't seen whether it's valuable to you or not, I think it doesn't make sense anyway. It's basically like you're walking into a store, but right before you walk into the store, you first have to sign a full contract before you can enter. And you're like, ah, well, I'll just go to the next store. Right. So we need to change that. I think. So when you enter this store, can we have a camera crew following you around? Yeah, exactly. So I think. 
we will like how this will look, I don't know, but I think let's say you have your, your anonymization engine that you spoke about, right? So at the beginning, when somebody enters the website, you maybe don't ask for consent yet. Maybe you just do anonymous tracking and you let them explore. And then whenever they, let's say they want to play a video, then you ask for consent when they actually want to play that video or whenever they want to put a product in the basket then you say like, Hey, if you want to shop with us, we need a little bit of your consent because we want to optimize our web shop. Uh, hopefully you understand, you know, and this, we use it for optimizing the web shop and for showing you a personalized experience. And then you get the consent whenever it's relevant and not with like this huge banner in their face when they just enter the, the store. I think probably something like that. It, has a more likely future, I guess. Yeah, I think so too. It's something that changes the things because it is like you're saying a massive growth in banner, uh, cookie banner pop-up blockers, like ugly term, but it, it, it's happening, right? Yeah. And to be honest, I'm partly responsible. I'm helping clients implement them as well, because you know, everybody wants to be compliant. So th this is the current solution that is out there. You get this banner and then you're sort of doing the right thing, but it doesn't, from a user experience point of view, it, it doesn't feel like the right thing. Nobody likes these things. You could already feel it's not the way forward. So it, it will need to change. And I think so. So we're going back, uh, probably the biggest mistake that the, we made as an industry was probably not thinking about that somebody had to respond to the do not track setting. That was actually the, the first thing here. The reason why we're sitting here today, like Oh, I should have responded to that. Okay, cool. I didn't know. Yeah. For the people listening or unaware within your browser, within every browser, there's a web standard, I guess, where browsers can send a signal along with every hit that they send. And that basically signals that they do not want to be tracked. So it just, it's called the do not track signal. And this was implemented across all browsers, but nobody listened to it. I guess it was like the browsers forgot to tell us that we were supposed to listen for this. And it actually was something that we should pick up on. And I, I think it's the classic example of this. Somebody else will respond to this and, and nobody did. And this is probably the beginning of all our problems. Yeah. Well, I think the ignoring of the do not track signal, it was heavily lobbied by the advertising industry. And I think this is where ITP was born basically. That's where the ITP is. Instead of asking you to comply, it's enforcing it. So I agree with you that probably we should have preemptively worked with them on the do not track signal instead of now having to clean up after ourselves. Exactly. Looping back to the opening, and I think it's just a reflection saying we talked about Google Analytics being illegal. I think the interesting thing just to, to kind of give closure to that is that, like I said, I'm heavily biased, but Google Analytics has actually never been declared illegal as a tool is the practice of storing the data in the U.S., right? So as a tool, it's actually fine. It is one problem that goes under the GDPR that actually affects all cloud-based solutions or most American tools and vendors and stuff. The same rules, the same ruling could be pulled over Salesforce or AWS or Facebook. I think I entertained you before we started with the fact that Sweden has decided that Microsoft 365 is not compliant under these rules. So it's not a ruling. It's just the internal legal team that has decided that they don't want to use it. So it's a quiz question. If you want to use, instead of Microsoft 365, what do you use that is not an American platform-based thing? The obvious choice, the first thing people say, well, 
Then I'll use Google. No, okay, that doesn't work. Then I'll use Apple. Uh, okay, that doesn't work either. There's some beautiful solutions out there. So I'm, I'm a bit of an open source tech nerd on the weekend, basically. And there's a lot of self-hosted, really cool Google Drive-like solutions that you can have on your own server. But of course, this is once you scale to enterprise solution and you want it to be reliable and, and maintained, then of course that goes out the window. I've, I do see in the future that there will be a, a very nicely scalable open source version of those kind of tools as well, because I think the, the Dutch government actually uses Microsoft cloud, like they use Azure and they did an entire assessment of that as well. I think in the end, like for some parts of government, it probably in the future becomes wise to not be reliant on big tech so much because their interests are going to be so intertwined that, that might cause problems in the future. But I think for a lot of commercial businesses, this is, yeah, it's just not worth it uh, to go with some open source solution you have to maintain where you can also pay Google 50 bucks a month to get it done. Imagine the cost for some, for some of the bigger companies if they got told, okay, cool. You can no longer use any American tech. Yeah. It will be a great day for consultants and a horrible day for, for business in Europe. The flip side of that is, of course, that, that I do think that the rights of the individual, the, the way that, you know, the GDPR is set up, I think that is the right way to think about it. And I would love it if the GDPR or a framework like the GDPR, the intention of the GDPR, that would be the way we can, that the world takes data into consideration going forward and that we improve upon that even. So hopefully this new agreement actually changes something because I do think going forward, that would be the best outcome. And that would also mean that Google has the resources to change their tools to comply with the GDPR. It's just that right now it doesn't make sense for them because they're an American based business. They do a lot of business in the U S so why would they change their tooling? But if the legislative framework in the whole world can kind of agree on how, how we handle data, then that would. I think in the end, it will be a good thing for ad tech, for marketing technology, because it just allows us to build for one solution instead of. And I think that is the scary part right now, fragmentation that could be going. Because yes, we talk a lot about GDPR, but what about the California? Technically, I guess they will be mimicking a lot of the stuff that we're doing. I think the first five U.S. states that has a specific similar legislation. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Let's hope we can move towards something that makes sense across the entire world, just like uh, the internet can be used across the entire world. So that will be a good way forward. So Steen, thanks for this talk. It was my pleasure. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you? Live on LinkedIn. That is kind of my main turf. That's the place I communicate. So if you're curious and want to dive into the stuff I'm doing, I'll find the place to meet me. Uh, LinkedIn is the place. Great. We'll link to that in the show notes. Thank you, Steen, and hopefully uh, we'll talk soon. Cool. Thanks.